0: This morning, I want to continue. Uh, yet last week we left off in First Peter uh, chapter one. We ended up actually verse eleven, but I, I just wanted to. We talked about verse three: is divine power that he's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We open up this epistle. Uh, by explaining what he was talking about in the first chapter. We've been attained like precious faith. Like precious faith. That not only means that we have the exact faith that that was handed down from the Lord himself. But this this precious faith is the gift which admits us into this into salvation which God has provided through the death and resurrection of his son this faith is described again as a like precious faith that saves that that is the only way of reconciliation and as we it's a, a fitting way of getting into this letter because as we go into it we're going to see what Peter's talking about in the last days these false teachers what are they going to do they're going to they're going to explain away redemption. They're going to twist redemption. They're going to say that redemption comes by some other means or more means than the exact like precious faith of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked a little bit yet last week about the promises. Remember um, verse 4. We've been given great, exceedingly great, precious promises. We have, us, the church, those in Christ... We've been given promises, promises of eternal life, promises of all our sins being forgiven, promises of an inheritance, promise of we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. Uh, You know, all these things have been given unto us so that we might be partaker of the divine nature. We know that, for example, from Romans chapter 6, that we died with Christ. And if we die with him, we know that we will live with him. As Christ was raised from the dead, so we have been raised with Christ. Those are precious promises that impart to us understanding of, of the new life. And by believing these precious promises, that new life changes us, and we become a walking example or a walking testimony of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Called to give all diligence to this, verse five. Look at your own life. Is virtue moral excellence being added to your precious faith? Moral excellence. Is what virtue, a lot of people call virtue. It's a moral excellence. It's an excellence that comes from the divine, the, the creator living inside of us through the Holy Spirit. That's what produces that. Is virtue being produced in your life? If virtue is being produced in your life, you're going to increase in the knowledge of God. Is that increasing? Look at verse 6. the knowledge self-control? Do you still fly off the handle? Are you? Who are you controlled by? What are you controlled by? Is it increasing in life? You know, as long and long as we become Christians, we let go more and more and more of, of the control we think we have, and we give our life to Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen all at once. Perseverance. Are we persevering? Do we know who we have believed, and we are, and we know that, that He is able to keep and trust of that which we committed to Him against that day, as Paul says? Are we solid people? These are people, things that should be increasing. Godliness. Are we becoming an example of godliness? Brother, kindness. Are we kind and we are considerate? Of others, putting others' interests above ourself, and then brotherly kindness, love, love. Is love increasing in our life? Are we becoming more and more like God? Because that's what God does—is love. We've talked about that, and I and I uh, I think the thing we left off last week is. You know, many of us say, well, you know what, I, I don't have too much of a barometer. I mean, love. Well, yeah, I love, and I love this, and it's hard to understand. Let me point it to you one example. Let me ask husbands, are we loving our wives biblically? Is that increasing? Or is your wife becoming a, quote, unquote, ball and chain as the years go on? Think about that. This should be Increasing. Your love life, and I'm not talking sexually, I'm talking about your love life, should be increasing. It should be decreasing. But he says that if these things are increasing, verse 8, and they're yours, you know what? They're not. You're not going to be barren. You're not going to be unfruitful. You're going to be lively. Look at Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17, or so forth, about the lively, the, the plant that goes down, And bears fruit, and the streams of water have are being connected to their roots, and so to speak, they're going to be alive. The opposite of barren. You're going to grow in the knowledge of Christ. And by the way, he says that uh, entrance will be opened to you. Wow. In verse eleven, we need to be diligent to make sure these things. We need to watch our life. That matches what Paul says to Peter, or me, to Timothy. Watch closely your doctrine, but watch closely your life. And I think that when we, the more we abide in Christ, the more we're going to look closely in our life because we want to please the one who's enlisted us as a soldier. Because Paul says to Timothy that the soldier that's a real soldier doesn't entangle himself in every everyday life. He wants to please the one who listens. So, so I want to know. I want to see God working in my life. This life is a changed life. How different what we read from what we read here and, and elsewhere. It's a changed life. It's a life that we know whom we have believed. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on my behalf. I want to start at verse twelve this morning. Peter, much like Paul, in the second letter of Timothy, knew that his time of his departure was at hand. You know, and it's like having a last chance to speak to people that you love or care for. That's why I believe that the ammunition to preach every 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 message, or to be able to witness to somebody, or talk to somebody about Christ, should be done in the uh, should be done in the tense that it is your last. You know, it's with fervent pitch that we uh, tell people of not only Jesus Christ, but I think that fervent pitch should be in our lives as well. I want to make it my aim to be Christ-like. I want to make it my aim to present the one who is alive again. And Peter, knowing this, says, look at verse 12. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. We want to be established in the truth. We want to be established in the truth. And Peter here is saying, I know my time is short. I have written to you before. You can read the things that he wrote in his first epistle and what he's going to re- write in the remaining uh, shortness of his second epistle. I don't want to be negligent. I want to remind you of these things, though you already know them. You know, most of us here. You know, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, for the first couple years, uh, because I, I'm used to uh, more of a transient place, so so I, I've sat under pastors that were constantly talking to new people. We're constantly at people coming in, and it was a, it was a uh, just a turnaround. So he was constantly talking of the elementary, if you will, understanding of the gospel. You know that Jesus died, that He rose again. And the gospel of people that needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what saves. And yet, as, as the years have gone on and we have this ministry, and, 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 and I love it, but it's it, God has taken me in another way. The fact that we know the truth, I think those of us that are here established in the truth, I can't, you know, I think some of us are, but yet to constantly be reminding so that we would be we'd be so firm in them, we can't be shaken. That we would know truth, and we would know the Lord Jesus Christ, so when some falsity comes over the horizon, as we're going to be getting into, we can see it in an instant. Amen. He says, for this reason I will not be negligent. Even though some people are going to go, wow, you would go again, I've heard this so many times before. Have you really? Have you really heard it? Sometimes we can hear things a hundred times and not understand it. Or sometimes we can hear things a hundred times and not hear it. You know, Jesus to saying, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And by the way, that is what a good and faithful elder or pastor or overseer will do. And that is a part of his crown, that he's not negligent, that he is steadfast and he is going to Drill things over and over until they are understood. Because he says, Though you know them are established in the present truth. Look at verse 13. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent or tabernacle, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Paul says, you know what? I want you to raise up men so that are able to teach, that you can teach, that they can go on and teach. You know, It's something, it's a precious truth. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. That's exactly what the apostles did, and the disciples after them. We confirm a lot what the apostle Paul says because we look at people like Polycarp, the old church fathers, and they, they were direct disciples of them. It's not only tradition, but it's passed on. We have a like precious faith, folks, that the apostles had. What's wrong with it today when we, when you go into a church and you can't hear that? Or you turn on a radio station and you hear something a little bit foreign. We should hear the preaching of the gospel as fresh and as clear as the apostles got from the Lord Himself. And it's not being done today, and that's part of the deception. That we'll get into here a little bit. I'm very passionate about this. So he says in verse 15, I want to assure you that you have this. And by the way, when we read the epistles, we need to realize that they were not only immediately writing these to the churches that exist, but this sets the the validity of the Word of God. He's writing down the quarter of time. This is the eternal Word of God is writing this to us as well. In fact, he will make a statement, a couple statements, as well as Paul has. Men are going to go from bad to worse. The end times are going to be horrible. And in the first century, they dealt with agnosticism. They dealt with all kinds of of bad beliefs that entered in. Paul wrote Galatians, warning that people are going to come in and pervert the gospel of Christ. That was read, some people think, not quite 30 years after Christ ascended. So this is prevalent for us for us today. I'm going to read down to the end of the chapter, and then we'll get into our text. Verse 16, For we did not follow cunning, devised fables, when we had known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For we received from God the Father, honor and glory, when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory, that is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He said, This is, is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. And we heard, verse 18, this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Look at verse 19. And so we have prophetic word confirmed. We have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to take heed as light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse nineteen, before let me just make a quick uh, affirmation in case I uh, slips my mind when I get there. This is: we also have the prophetic word confirmed. It, what it means is, we have much more. This is a much more of, an, of, a, of a confirmation than our eyewitness account. I can speak of the eyewitness account. We were there, and traditional passed it on, and it was truth. And it absolutely uh, solidified our, our faith and everything else. But that's an experience that, that we must not overshadow the stronger evidence of the prophetic word of God. Now these gentlemen saw Christ in His glorified form. You know, people say, well, if God would just show me Himself, if He would just speak to me audibly, then I would be sure, then I would be sold. No, you won't. No, you wouldn't. That is not human nature. I love the fact that he brings this account into focus. Because we need to understand this. So back in verse 12, he's diligent, first of all. Are we diligent? Are we diligent to present the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word of God, over and over and over again, not only by our life? You know, some people really get turned off Christianity because it's like a fad it fades out in people's lives. He's diligent to remind them. To establish them in the truth. That's my first point I wanted to look at today. To establish them in the truth. The International House of Prayer is not establishing millions in the truth. They are leading people away from this present, established truth. And by the way, when the Bible uses the word present, it's present. It's not going anywhere. It doesn't say well it was present that in the first century but this is the 21st century no it is present God as God is present always was always is his word of his word never leaves it's established in the heavens it is a present truth it does not go away that is what it means by the present truth it's not going anywhere And Peter says I'm going to establish you in this just like Paul did he said because basically I know that after I leave, the president of the cats away the mice play is a is prevalent everywhere. He knows that after he leaves, he wants to be people be established. Paul said the same thing in Acts 20 and elsewhere. I know that after I leave, there's going to be people that are going to take the advantage. Well he's gone, great, bam. And he wants to establish people in the truth. So when that happens, they can they can easily spot it and remove it. He says verse 13 again, he, it's as long as I'm in this tabernacle, as long as I'm in this body, it's only right that I stir you up by reminding you. It's only right. I can't stir you up and, and and nobody can stir you up by stories, nobody can stir you up by philosophies. They can only stir you up and and establish you in truth. He says verse 14, I know that I'm leaving I know that I'm leaving and I am going to be standing face to face with this one I am proclaiming and giving the truth to you. There are pastors and teachers and overseers out there that need to understand that what you are sharing and what you are presenting as truth, you're going to be accountable to when you stand before Him. That's part of the fear of the Lord. That's why James says, not many of you become teachers, because knowing that we're going to receive a stricter judgment. We'll get into more on that a little bit later. Verse 16 is when I really want to go through uh, the rest of this chapter rather rather quickly. For we did not follow cunning devised fables. When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses. You know, the transfiguration, you can read it in Matthew 17, Luke chapter 9. Paul says, We have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking craftiness, nor handling the word of God to but by manifestation of the truth, we're commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. These men were on the mount They were called up, and Jesus allowed them to see his his glory. And the Bible says that when the the father spoke, he said, This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Hear him. I think sometimes it's appropriate to to understand how the word of God is written. Um, There's so many... Big words on how to, you know, people say how to explain and how to study the Word of God. Exegesis, or, you know, to take the, the scripture and, and exegesis it to the point of how it is written. It is written prophetically, first of all. And that's why Peter puts so much emphasis on this next verse, on prophetically. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the Holy Mount. But look at verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. It's confirmed. It's not only confirmed by fulfillment. But it is also confirmed by the prophets through the scriptures on a congruent time. In other words, we have Moses, we have all the prophets that have prophesied of the one true God. They have not deviated. The one true God. They have have had a prophetic line that ran the scarlet thread of redemption. In other words, man's basic ruin and God's perfect remedy. They have a one congruent theme in the Bible and that's that our Creator God is a delivering God. One basic congruent theme. But we also know that it's a more prophetic word by part, by fulfillment, as we've been studying on Wednesday nights. And I hope that you remember this. Two-thirds of prophecy have already been fulfilled. We've talked about that. There's a third left. If, If the prophecies that have been fulfilled, not only locally in the prophet's time, but in a broader sense were fulfilled literally, the last one-third will be fulfilled literally. We have the more sure word of prophecy. Now, he gets into the second part of this discussion. How are we to interpret prophecy? How do we interpret the word of God? The prophetic word in verse 19 is confirmed. Which you do well to heed is a light that shines in a dark place until the morning star, or excuse me, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. The sure word of prophecy, the prophetic word. We talked about the fulfilled prophecy is the proof that the Bible is the word of God. How do we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the prophets? How do we know that He died for the sins of the world, the prophets? How do we know that God the Father bruised His Son for us, the prophets? How do we know that He is coming back in glory, the prophets? How do we know that Jesus Christ is going is to be the Savior of His church that God has kept through the centuries, the prophets? We've been talking about this for so long. Listen to these passages. And I won't sell you the, the, uh, the, where they're at. You should all know them by now. We've been talking about them, especially on Wednesdays, for years. Behold, the former things are come to pass. And new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Remember the things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, that man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it, and I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will also do it. You know, God performs His revelation to man in a progression. He doesn't do it all at once. God starts out in Genesis. He tells the fact. He doesn't argue for His existence. It just says, In the beginning, God. Created and then he starts progressing through his word and in his progressive revelation to man. The light dawns, and the morning star arises in your hearts. The Bible says in Revelation sixteen, "I, Jesus, have my angels testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star." You know, it, sometimes if, when we read the Word of God, we're so overwhelmed. When we read, in, in, especially in the Revelation, so if, you know, wait a minute, I've heard this somewhere. I've read this somewhere. Yes, you have the prophets. It's a more sure word of fulfillment. Let me just read something to you real quick and just listen to this. Okay, it's out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For we do not preach ourselves with Christ Jesus the Lord our and ourselves your bond for Jesus' sake. For as God who shined commanded the light to shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency and of the power may be of God and not of us. You and I were not witnesses on the Mount of Transfiguration. You and I have not seen some of the things that these apostles saw. But they will admit what we have is the more sure word of prophecy. We not only have the very living Christ living within us by the Holy Spirit, we also have the word that is made confirmed to us. We can understand the word of God, and that is what confirms to us. That's not only His word. But it's confirmed confirming us. Tim LaHaye wrote, "The Word of God is the light lamp of divine revelation, shining in a world filled with spiritual darkness. Shining in a world filled with spiritual darkness. We have the prophetic word confirmed or made more sure. We do well to heed to it. But look at." Uh, at verse 20 and 21, I want to talk about this for a minute, and then we'll, then we'll get into the first part of what I want to talk about, and we'll finish the rest of uh, chapter 2 next week. But knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. No prophecy ever came by private interpretation. Now, there's there's a primary reasoning for this, and there's a a secondary reasoning. All prophecy was written by men that were moved by God, by God's uh, specific prophets for a specific purpose. Okay? They all have one congruent theme. You can't get away from that. That's one of the things that skeptics haven't been able to answer for years. The Bible, and I'll put this just in generic... uh, uh, Equations, if you will, the Bible was written over a fourteen hundred year period. Maybe a little bit more, maybe a little. Some people say more, some people less. But I like to go in the median, just for sake of argument, written over a fourteen hundred year period. Okay, fourteen hundred years over by between authors of, of forty two and forty four, whatever, whatever, whichever way you, you feel that some uh, were the authors of certain letters, like Hebrews and so forth. They all have one congruent theme. You can't get around this. It has been proven that different parts of Scripture were written in different times of history. They all have the same thing. In other words, one prophet wrote one thing, and hundreds of years later, God had the pen of another prophet start and write off where he, where he uh, left off. We have prophecies concerning the Messiah that are so minutely detailed, written by so many different prophets that didn't know one another, that were in different parts of the land of Israel, so to speak, that are of different time and times of different ages. You can't get around it. 1400 years, 44 different authors. All confirming one another. Do you know that the Bible is is so meticulous about things that have happened in the Old Testament or brought out in the New Testament for the spiritual understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ? Wait a minute. Back in Moses, Christ wasn't even born yet. You cannot get away from the one congruent theme. Do you know the probability of that happening in the world today would make fools out of us all? You cannot have this type of, of literature from antiquity over, over thousands of years by different people who didn't know each other write about the same God, not a different God, the same triune Godhead that we know today, writing about one common thing of man. You know, in First Kings, we have Solomon say that there is not a man on earth that doesn't sin. We have in Ecclesiastes, he wrote later. again, there's not a man on earth that doesn't sin. That is the congruent thing from Genesis, who starts in paradise and ends in a coffin, all the way through Revelation. So we have all of these prophetic truths, and the whole Word of God, writing about the same God. His characteristics haven't changed. And man's plight. You will not get literature like that anywhere else in the Bible. We have the more, you know, the prophecy made more sure. And I want to end in this: when he says that it's of no private interpretation, we get a little hint of this when <laughs> back in the end of the epistle, Peter's talking about the Apostle Paul, and it's in uh, if you want to flip over chapter. Uh, 3 verse 16. He says that you know what? The Lord gave wisdom to Paul, the Apostle Paul concerning salvation. Look at verse 16. In all his epistles, he's speaking them of these things, in which are some hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. Now that's a little hint. To the best of my mind, it's very, very biblical, and it has just opened my eyes to understanding the Word of God and how we should look at the Word of God, is what Donald Gray Barnhouse, and we've used this, uh, if you were here um, with me through, even through the Word of Life, we've used this uh, for over eight years now. How to interpret the Bible. You interpret the Bible like you have an upside-down triangle, you remember? And you have the whole prophetic Word of God bearing down on the passage that you are looking at, not only in immediate context, but in the context of the Word of God. This principle has been left off so much that the Bible, instead of breeding confidence and stability, it breeds confusion now. Or as C.I. Schofield used to say, it didn't take very long for the student of the Bible to give up, because he, he, he just couldn't... Understand, the Bible is confusing to him. And this is what Peter is talking about here, when we can't take a prophetic truth out of it. We have to take the whole into context. We have to take that upside-down triangle and have the whole Word of God resting. Isn't that what you want? If I were to die today, and and I knew that, that... that down the road sometime my, my wife would end up in another church, I would sure want her to be sitting under a pastor that has that understanding of the Word of God. Because, you know, without getting getting too out of my, of my element here, I think that if this was adhered to strictly under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, under His leading, looking at His Word, He is the teacher, that I think that a lot of this nonsensical stuff today would not be here. Because I'll tell you the truth, brethren, I cannot, and I've been studying this for years, I cannot find Calvinism in the pages of the Scripture. I cannot. At all. Because... Things that aren't of the Bible, that taken literally and and in that scope, breeds confusion. I have talked to people, as I've told you before, that are in Calvinism, that don't know they're one of the elect. That don't know. Because, see, if I'm not one of the elect, I'm damned forever. That is a claustrophobic feeling that will drive somebody inwardly mad. We must take the whole of the Word of God, and rest it on whatever we are reading. Please, please, if you remember nothing about today, remember that. Because you will safeguard yourself. And you know who's at the bottom of that point? The Holy Spirit guiding you through the Word of God. That's why it is so important, whatever doctrine we hold on, we can back it up by the Word of God, not by somebody's you know saying so i can tell you that for a, f- a surety that in the end times that israel is going to be the focus of the tribulation period by the prophets not because of some book i've read not because of somebody i have listened to but i can prove it on myself and isn't that the the whole idea of our churches today and I want to read just one passage. And I will leave you to answer that question. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself gave some as apostles, prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine by the trickery and the cunning craftiness of deceitful and plotting men who they are not speaking the love in truth. So as multitudes can be saved, that's Jeff Graham paraphrase. But that's what's going on here. Rightly dividing the word of truth so that we would know. I love the way God had Peter construct his epistles. Because this is an appropriate gateway to enter into chapter 2. Because there are false prophets out there. Deceivers. That that they're unstable, and that they twist. But yet, there are also... Satan also has his men out there, we know by 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We don't have time to go into that. You have children that are in other churches. Do you know they're being spoken the truth? Do they know they're being spoken the truth? I have a few more minutes. I just want to introduce uh, this second second chapter. Prophecy were moved, before I, I, I leave this, prophecy was moved by men as they were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit. As I said before, if you, if somebody answers you when you say, "Well, what would the Apostle Paul say today to the church?" and they say, "Well, he would say something a lot different," Woo, boy, no, he wouldn't. He would say the same thing that's written in, because it wasn't him saying it; it was the Holy Spirit that was moving through him. That's number one how we can false, how we can identify a false prophet, because anything that a prophet, a teacher, or whatever. Uh, says it must align up with the Word of God. It must. And that's not what's happening today. At all. I want to read something to you uh, that goes largely unnoticed, I think. Uh, at least what I've noticed. And it's in 3rd Epistle of John. A little, that little letter, 14 verses long. He writes about a gentleman, Diotrephius. He says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephius, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. This is in 3 John the ninth verse. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to Uh, And forbids those who wish to receive them, putting them out of the church. This is prevalent everywhere. False prophets. But there there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Chapter 2, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on himself swift destruction. And Many will follow their destructive ways, pernicious ways, destructive ways, ruinous ways, marring ways, destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, verse 3, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Huh. We just read about, if you all just say things about Jesus, God, and the Bible, they'll understand it. But underneath, they don't realize that you're seething with unbelief in these things. Can you imagine a pastor behind a pulpit? spewing all over the national airwaves that he really doesn't believe in the virgin virgin birth of Christ, then if he doesn't believe that Christ is born of a virgin, he does not believe in redemptive truth, especially biblical redemptive truth. So right here, talking about false prophets, they're going to bring in swift destruction. But look at verse 2. This is a sad point about this. Many will follow their destructive ways. Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. I want to take the last minutes here. of, of That's just an introduction, Whoa. but it is so important today. You know, some of us, I think, and this is, and I, I am so. <laughs> it's like a two-edged sword. I am so. Uh, filled with joy that you know that I I think that some of you stay at the foundation of life when you have have more opportunities to be more social and more opportunities to to what have you. But I know that you know that that you stay because the truth resides here and, and nothing that is said from here goes lightly. And I appreciate that. Otherwise, I'd be preaching to the ear. But I just want to give you a little bit, as we have our last few minutes here, uh, some of the overview of the falseness. And by no means is this exhaustive. But just listen to some of these. We don't have time today, but I wanted to get into Jeremiah 23. In fact, yes, we do have time. Real quickly. I'm sorry. This 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 is so important. Um, Jeremiah chapter 23 if you want to want to turn that real quickly real quickly and you know that the the amazing thing about the word of God is that when we heat it when we understand it we see the heart of God you know and and I think that that is that is uh, the uh, the heart and the, the spirit, if you will, of the prophets. They were so willing to impart the heart and the love of God uh, despite their being imprisoned, their being beaten, their being misunderstood. But in Jeremiah 23, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Now, and obviously, we're talking context about the forthcoming of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and Israel. But, you know, the spirit of the prophets... Lives. And this is the heart of God. Woe unto the pastures to destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Verse 2: Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings. God didn't send these people. Look over at verse 21 in the same chapter. Jeremiah 23, 21 says, I have not sent these prophets, God says, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. If they have stood in my counsel and have caused my people to hear my words, they would have turned them away from the evil way and from their evil doings. Keep that in mind, and I'll read you something from Ezekiel 34. This is a heart of God about faithless and worthless shepherds. He said, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? I'm just in it for financial gain and everything else. He says, you eat the flesh and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor you brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but you force and with cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. Listen to this. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. There's a lot to say about that. The Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. The Lord Jesus Christ, again in Matthew 24, But take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. Later on that, in that chapter, he says, For many false prophets will arise and deceive many. The Apostle Paul, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come into you, not or among you, excuse me, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. That's what false prophets do. That's what false teachers do. Therefore watch and remember for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. The Apostle Paul warns in 2 Corinthians 11, but I fear lest somehow as a certain deceived Eve by his craftiness, the first deception of mankind. So your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, For I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you, in the grace of Christ, to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who would trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, Powers and against the rulers of this darkness of the age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Philippians chapter three, the apostle writes, "Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who still walk. Note those that still walk, So as you have for us for a pattern." Do we have a pattern here? Do we have? Do we have excellent patterns here throughout this throughout this church? I'm not talking about Mormonism. I'm not talking about the cults. What do you expect out of there? I'm talking about the ones that profess to be the gospel-bearing remnant of the church of Jesus Christ. The remnant, yes, the professing church has falling away into apostasy. He says, join me in my example. Are you going to join me, the apostle says, and note those that, that walk another way? For many walk off whom I've often told you, and now even tell you, weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They're enemies. They don't believe in reconciliation. They don't believe we need redemption. They don't believe Jesus was born of a virgin. They don't believe in, in just these carnal understandings of truth. They don't believe in that. And Paul, the Apostle, calls them, as we should call them, enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. He says in First Thessalonians chapter three, for this reason I could no longer endure, so I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. He writes in Second Corinthians eleven, like the passage we alluded to earlier. No wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. We'll be getting this a little bit later next week. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4, Now the Spirit expressly says, In the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. It says in Second Timothy, But know this, that in the last times perilous times will come. He says, In Second Timothy four three, for the time will come. The time is here now, folks. Let me tell you that right now. The time will come that where they will not endure sound doctrine, but will according to their own desires, because they love itching ears. Prideful men, they love to scratch the itching ears of prideful men, and seduce men. They will heap for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth, and turn aside to fables. Peter wrote in his first epistle in chapter 4, verse 7 But the end of all things is at hand. Be serious and watchful in the prayers. Be vigilant, be sober, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Peter says that we just read this in the opening, of Peter 2, but there will be false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. John, 1 John 2. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many, many Antichrists have come. By which we know it is the last hour. How do we know it's the last hour? How do we know it's the last time? How do we know? Because we have so many understandings of, in the latter days, the apostles asked Jesus, What is going to happen in the latter days, the time before your coming? Let no one deceive you. We can go all through the New Testament. And John says, we know that it is the last time. Because we've heard that the Antichrist is coming, but even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it's the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would have continued this day. But they went out that they might be manifest that they were not of us. Folks, this is doctrine, this is false teachers, this is wolves. They went out from us, they didn't remain with us. So we know by that venture that they're going out. They're false brethren. John, first John chapter four, listen to this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they're of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Do not, you know what, can we say that we don't believe in the virgin birth and be a, and and be a denier of Christ coming in the flesh absolutely? Christ came in the flesh through a virgin birth. He came in the flesh by not a human means. He came in by the flesh by being conceived by the Holy Spirit. They're deniers. This deceiving. People are deceiving you. As long as we talk about God, the Bible, and Jesus, we're fine. But they're deceiving you, because they don't believe that Jesus has come in the flesh. And they de- they're deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. For many deceivers have gone out the world who do not confess that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God, but he who abides in the doctrine of Christ, listen to this, has both the Father and the Son. Jesus said to religious leaders, You don't believe in me. God is not your Father. For if, if God was your Father, you would receive me. Very important. Jude, verses 3 and 4. Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Listen to this. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out of this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude closes the epistle by saying, I told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own godly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Many deceivers. A lot of people are being deceived today because they think what they hear is so good. And if it's so good, how can it be wrong? If if I, if I hear God once in a while and Jesus once in a while, and how can it be so wrong? After all, I want a good life, you know. And 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 the guy today sounded good because he said God wants me to have my best life now. You know, and, and it sounds so good. It's like a baked potato. It's 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 got the skin of the truth stuck with a lie. And unless we're discerning and understand and we, we know what's happening coming in the last days, we heed the instructions of the apostles, we are going to be eluded. How many wonderful people have been sucked in to false doctrine? Not intending to be deceived, not wanting to I be mean, who wants to be deceived? I don't want to be deceived. You don't want to be deceived. But deception is out there. And it's leading up to the the deception. Because if, if, if folks aren't being taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, they're being taught about the Antichrist. Because the Antichrist not only is going to oppose Christ but he will be such a counterfeit of Christ as to delude a deceived world. That's what the Bible says. And Peter says, I'm going to be diligent to remind you of these things. I'm going to be diligent to know that you're established in this present truth. Hey, we saw him. I can tell you by my own word. You better believe in me. We saw him. Then he says, I have a more sure word of prophecy, which you will do well to take heed to. Prophecy is an account and a revelation of God concerning not only himself, his purposes, his plans, but his Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we leave today, and I'm, I'm ending right now, I want to end with this, and just say in your own heart, how many people can tell me where this is found in the Bible? We have gone over a lot. For the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. If you said Revelation chapter 9 at the end of verse 10, good for you. Because that is exactly what we're talking about here. Know your Bible Know the word. Don't take anybody's word for it. There are false teachers and false. We have. We have. I can't tell you how many times we have turned on the radio, and you, you don't quite understand. You know, he sounds familiar, but he doesn't. He sounds pretty good until you start listening. You know, until you start listening into his message, what he's really talking about, what his aim really is. It's deceiving, and. the The false prophet will say, hey, don't check it out. I'm I'm here to tell you. I heard from God. Everything that you hear will be confirmed by the Word of God. And today, let's make it a point. We know that we might not be deceived with these carnal doctrines but let's make a point to to those that are erring or those that don't understand let's let's teach them let's make them understand or let's let's at least give them an avenue to understand let's speak the truth let's get together and, and get into the word of god and let it get into us The Apostle says that that he was thankful for the Thessalonians under severe persecution, by the way, that they received the Word not as the Word of men, but as the Word of God, which effectually works in them who believe. And Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the Word and the, the explicit detail in it, that it will instruct us, that it will nurture us, and will feed us. That we don't have to live on example. We don't have to go from one example to the other example, from one high peak to the other. But we can be in the valley of the Word of God, being fed by the Spirit of God, and that we might know truth and walk in it. Father, I pray as we, as in these last days, even this church would would raise up that we may expose false teaching, that we may oppose those that that say that they have the truth and they they don't, and that we would know the word of God, and that we'd be able to identify falsity in an instant. And I thank you for this morning, uh, for being here, and for loving us with your everlasting truth. In Jesus' name, amen. And upon that rock, no matter what happens, you might not fall. And I'll end on here. Look at verse 11, I'll end On in verse 12, it says, For an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You and I, my friends, that have received that gift and were in Christ Jesus, and, and we are being changed by Him. Do you know what's awaiting you? An abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. That is amazing. Anybody who can sleep through this, anybody who can give this a ho-hum, something is wrong. Because by being Christ's own, and by being His possession, and He is, is, is causing fruit and growth in your life. And you know that the outcome is because so He can welcome you Abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians 2, Therefore, my beloved, now as you have always obeyed, not so much in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, wait a minute. This is what they call a double sort of truth. If we stop there, he would go, wow, work out? You, know, and say, you mean I've got to work out my salvation? But then he goes on to say, for it is God who works in you, both to will and do in His good pleasure. That is such a balance of the Christian life that we're talking about here. Or as Kenneth Wiest was talking about, that God provides provision the power and the salvation, but it's our responsibility to make sure that the, that, that the growth is happening in our life. We're seeing the growth and... You're just excited about it. We're, we're fan out, as a, as, a, as the more uh, laxo way of saying this, apparently. I think the NIV says something now, I'm not too sure. But, you know, therefore we love you. always obeyed in my presence. You know, you're a good attentive. But love it's more in my absence. Work out. Fan out this, this salvation with fear and trembling that's in you. Allow it to come out. If you're so worried about your life and the things in your life, you are definitely not going to be fanning out and allowing that to spring forward with what's with what's in you. And you've lost those things. You're blind, and you're not. You don't realize that you've been purged from your former sins. A lot of people get the wrong understanding of First John because they read 1 John as something other than what it was written to. It's written to Christians. And if we and if they say, "Wait a minute," so if we confess. Uh, in 1 John 1, nine, I already did that as salvation. No, we're talking about Christians stumbling into sin. They come immediately to God and they confess their sins, that joyous fellowship is restored. And we know that we're forgiven, that we're sons of God because of Christ on the cross. But I have acted and I have walked in a way that is not bringing glory to God, goodness to me by the fruit, and glory to His name by the fruit that other people see. So therefore we have an avenue to come to God, keep short, short accounts with God, and that fellowship keeps flowing. But it's our responsibility to know the the facts, to receive the Word of God, to receive that gift of eternal life, and we will see amazing results. Wouldn't you think it was weird that somebody says, Oh, I've been in Christ 25 years, and he's living worse than your neighbor that doesn't even know God next door? Something's wrong here. (laughs) I want us all to be able to look back and see growth. Growth that we've grown not only in the Word of God, but we've grown in the character of God. We are wasting our time here, if all we're learning here is doctrine. But when we learn what doctrine is surrounded by the love of Christ, we know our Savior. Do you know the voice of Jesus Christ versus the voice of a false teacher or a wolf? Well, let me tell you, Far be it from me to want to be insinuous about the truth. But let me let me ask you something in closing. How about if somebody came to you and said, You know, man, I couldn't believe it. yesterday I had such a great experience with God. I was, in, I was in fellowship and prayer. And you know what Jesus said to me? He came back and he comforted me He said, You know, child? He said, I need you a lot more than you need me. It was wonderful. That's what Sarah Young does in her book, Jesus Calling, amongst many other things. I'm not picking on her or her book. What I'm saying is that there are false prophets, there are false things coming in, there are everywhere that are saying, I've heard from God. Really? God needs me a lot more than I need him? better fear God now. You're going to long to love him. But he is the God of creation. And he has the right to do what he wants to do. If he wanted to wipe everything out and start fresh, that was his right to do it. If he wanted to stop with with, with the, the Israelites in the, in the in the desert, Sam, done! He could have done it. He could have, eons past, knowing all things, says, you know what, I don't want to see my son falsely condemned. I don't want to see people... Hating Him. I don't want to see my son being beaten like that. Think about your sons or your daughters. Would you want to see them treated like that? I wouldn't want to see anybody pull out my son's beard and whip him senseless and beat him. And then, knowing that he was going to go to the cross to bear the sin of the world, you talk about a load that is born patiently. That's how much God loves us. No, we need him. We need him. He's the one that we live or die by. We all live on that razor's edge between life and death. People that don't, they're deluded. Oh, I got many, I, you know. No, we, we love all to live for retirement age or whatever, but you know what? That's just not a fact i lost two really good friends out of high school. Right out of high school. And I lost another one at 23 years old. Life is no guarantee. But that's what the world says. Oh, you have plenty of time. It is the truth to be received. It is truth to be believed. It's the truth that, that you can see that growth only comes from Him. Are there any, are there any questions? close, This is truth that needs to be communicated today. This is the perseverance that Peter's talking about in verse 6 and just the Christian life. Are we going to preserve? Are we going to uh, carry on? Because if you follow that line of truth all through the Bible, and I promise I will close with this. I'm sorry, folks. This is exciting and this is important. One of, my fam- Thank you. One of my favorite verses or uh, psalms is Psalm 37. You know, there's all type of things in there. But you know, God keeps us and preserves us. And in, in Psalm 37, verse 28, it says, The Lord loves justice. He loves justice. Justice is happened on the cross for you and I. Do you realize that? God vindicated His justice when Jesus was on the cross taking punishment for our sin. That's what sin demands, punishment. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake His saints. They are preserved forever. And you follow that word preserve through the Bible, and you will understand it comes directly linked with a keeping God that once He He is a saving God, He saves us not only from our sins, He saves out of trouble, He saves from evil, but He saves from wrath. And that's this is going to be distinguishable behind, behind all the people that are that are in Christ Jesus. Versus the world that's heading to Armageddon. Wrath is God's avenue alone. And that wrath passed for me and went on Christ in judgment. And by receiving that, we have entered into new life. Those of you that are listening, if there's any listening today that have not received Christ, you heard this. You heard the gospel. Christ came into the world for you. He... He was nailed on a cross for you. Those words in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, were said for you. He took your punishment. He rose three days later as proof that that sacrifice could save you if you put your trust in Him, and Him alone. Not your works, not your merit, not anything. God does not grade our curve. God is just. And without Christ, you're going to be condemned. You're going to stand before God one day and you're going to give a reason why you have rejected that. Why you could have had the Savior, but now you have the judge. And the judge is right. And he's holy and He's true. You know, it's one thing if I get a traffic ticket, I might be able to bribe my way out, or my, I might be able to go and say, "Well, judge, yeah." But you know, I, my wife is having a baby, and I had to break the law, and I had, to, you know, one way or the other. But when we stand before God, and you're still in your sins, there is going to be no explaining things away. God will judge rightly, and He will judge fairly. And all the world of the redeemed will watch as you turn around slowly and you walk into outer darkness with his weeping and gnashing teeth. That's how much God loves you. So for a false prophet to say that that God needs me more than I need him is nonsense. Cam, will you play, please? Thank you, our Father, and our Creator, and our Redeemer, You've given us so many promises. That's the the nature of scriptures. Mm. One promise after another. Mm -hmm. You're faithful to each and every one of them. That you have reduced to writing. We thank you for all of them and pray that we'll depend more and more on each of them as we live our lives. Mm. We thank you in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Mm Amen. of my life. He has access to every fiber of my being. That includes my thought life. Make that decision now. So when temptation comes, your decision has already been made. I am Christ. He is mine. I am not going to submit to things of the world. I've already submitted myself to Christ. My heart is already in His hand. My treasure is already with Him. He is my life. Do it now. So when the temptation comes, you're not fighting to try to find a, a decision, or you're not fighting to try to get that sudden strength. You know, I remember on, on one particular situation somebody was accustomed to searching the internet and well after you do that is all you know you had they you have a tendency to whatever you go on the most it'll either pop up or something like that well he had been in and this particular individual had had succumbed to pornography and all that before and, and just, just sites that he shouldn't have been on we made that decision And unfortunately, he still had that same computer and stuff like that, so when things would pop up, that decision was made. They didn't pop up and he had to go, oh, you know, and try to find a certain strength that he does not have. He has to try to find a quick solution because temptation comes upon a man like that. You don't have time. Do it now. So when the temptation comes in, you don't worry about time. The decision has been made. And let me tell you what, Jesus will not rule somebody who does not want him to. People say, wow, really? Yes, really. That is one of the evils of Calvinism and other things. God will exalt a man who is lowly and contrite and humble of heart that trembles at his word, They know that he's the high and lofty one. We've made that decision that, oh, Lord, my God, you are my king and my God. All I have is yours. My decision has been made. And now when temptations come, you know what? Blow as they will. That's the way it is. You know, the Bible says that a a righteous man falling down before the wicked is is like a muddied stream, a polluted well. And that's why. Spiritual warfare. Your enemy is out there. But look at this. First 10, But, but may the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, <laughs> you have suffered a little while. This is the end. He will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Make that decision now, my friends. Look at that. After you suffer a little while, this is a promise of God. He's going to perfect you. He's going to establish you. He's going to strengthen you, and He's going to settle you. Some of us in our Christian life are stilted, and we aren't advanced as we should be, because we're flirting with temptation. We've not made that decision. We're lukewarm. We don't know if if, if really what we want to do. Some of you need to wrestle with God now. Even as as Jacob did. He says, I'm not going to let go of you until I receive a blessing. We need to to wrestle with ourselves and say, I'm not going to let go until I know that Christ is mine and I am His and He is welcome into any avenue of my being. Is He welcome into your thought life? Is He welcome into your time off? Is he welcome into your home when nobody else is around and nobody sees you? You should be welcome everywhere because we're his. We've been bought with a price. He's going to perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And why? The outcome is always going to be for our good and his glory. Look at verse 11. to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus and faith, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying. Look at this, that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. This is it. You know one thing I love, it, ah, it's just amazing. I'm almost done. Thank you for hanging in here. This is uh, I hope this has been instructive. Um Again, pastors are restricted by time, which, which uh, always runs contrary to me. But Paul says this about the gospel. Remember at the beginning, we're talking about the gospel. The gospel saves us, puts us on that foundation, gives us a, the complete forgiveness of sins, a place with Christ in the heavenly realms, and where we're, and we're, we're seated, and now we're to grow. Paul says this about the gospel. He says, the gospel preached to you which you received, in which you stand, in which you are saved. So you stand on this gospel. This is the foundation of your Christian life. You're saved by the gospel of Christ. Now we get Peter, who started out his epistle, talking about not only have we been uh, elect, not only talking about the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ and the sanctification of the Spirit, but that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as, as Paul says in Ephesians. Uh, Peter says it in another way that we've been blessed by the living hope to Christ who raise us from the dead, and so on and so forth. He ends this epistle, as Paul ended 1 Corinthians, by saying, This gospel I preached to you is the gospel in which you stand. Peter is explaining the gospel, explaining what it entails. Yes, we've been saved from our sin. Now we're Christians. We're we're born ones of Christ. Now we're growing, and he say, he goes through all this, which includes spiritual warfare. And he says this is the true grace of God in which you stand. It's the all inclusive gospel. It's the it's the shedding of the blood of Christ. It's the going in the tomb. It's raising in the third day. It's ascending to the Father who is at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. It's the Holy Spirit coming down. It's the where we blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And everything we do, we do with the hope of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead and so on and so forth. And now, not only correct understanding of where we're to be and what we're to do in our enemy around here... He's saying, all this is included in the grace of God by which you stand. And he closes by saying, she who is in Babylon elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you, all who are in Christ Jesus. And my friends, he ends this by saying we need to greet one another with a kiss of love. You know, the Bible says in the second psalm, and I love the way that King James put this, it says, kiss the son lest he be angry. You know, that is a term of affection. Are we affectionately loved for one another? Because that's what's going to keep us walking with Christ, is love. Make up your mind now. Follow him now. Fully, because as Peter said, he was zealous on saying these things and bringing these things to reminder. Because Jesus had told him shortly, he's going to go. What? Paul says the same thing. He says the same say the same things to you as me, not tedious, but to you it's profitable. Oh, it's just another sermon. It's just another this. It's just another that. No, it's an admonition to follow Christ today. Make that decision today. Father, I just thank you for this epistle. Lord, I just pray that you take away the rough edges that I put there and that the pure word would plant itself deep within our heart, that we would realize that the love of God knows no bounds, and yet we need to understand that there's an adversary out there. The one that wants to destroy us. That is bent on doing what he can in these last days. It's going to get worse. And I pray we will be solidified. We would be ready that we love one another. If it gets worse in these days to come. And we're parted from one another, and we don't have a place to come so comfortably, like most parts of the world. I pray that we would ask ourselves, will we be able to stand? Will we be able to stay strong and say, Come, Lord Jesus? Father, I pray that we'd be ready. We'd be ready, Lord, for your coming. And I pray, as the apostle John says, Come, Lord Jesus. And Father, in his name I pray. Amen.